0: Almost here, round the corner of future technology. And today, I got a very interesting guest, uh, blockchain consultant, Taylor Garing. Uh, he's with Blockchain Consulting Expert. That's the website. How you doing, Taylor? Great. How are you doing, Richard? Good. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I always love talking about uh, blockchain applications. So this is going to be a good interview. Um, so tell yeah, me, about, on. yeah. So. Uh, When when do you get called in to do consulting and what kinds of um, use cases or applications up and coming are you seeing that you can talk about that aren't private?
1: Yeah. So there's uh, a few industries that are really interested in blockchain and I've had a variety of uh, consultations from kind of just one-on-one sessions, trying to get developers up and running on blockchain platform all the way to doing full day kind of corporate training seminars. Um, and the real role at this point is really just to get education out there, get people to understand the technology and what it could be used for. Uh, there's obviously a lot of interest in fintech and uh, IoT is, you know, kind of scratching the itch a little bit with blockchain and trying to figure out how it can face their environment. But even going as far as the medical
0: industry and energy industry, uh, they're asking a lot of questions about blockchain and how it might be backed down. Yeah, it seems like uh, there's a couple of groups, there's a few people that are detractors uh, that say it's nothing special. Most are evangelists that I've run into. Um, what's the reality of blockchain? What have you seen it can do and what can't it do in a general sense before we get into specifics? Yeah, so it seems like in the very beginning, blockchain could do just about
1: everything. Um, I think as we put the technology more and experience some of the limitations we're finding that obviously it has specific niches where it does better. Um, there are a lot of people who are of opinion, myself included, that we don't really see all the applications. Just as when the internet was kind of invented and the web was first coming to fruition, You know, probably the inventors didn't really expect Netflix to be a dominating characteristic of the internet, uh, Mm -hmm. but here we are with streaming video. And I think blockchain will be the same way. We're going to get past the first wave of use cases with, you know, in tech and and medical and energy, like I mentioned. Uh, But the really interesting stuff is going to come after that. Once we have these base layers in place,
0: uh, all the new things we can invent on top of it is, is where the really exciting stuff happens. And within, um, you know, blockchain is not just this thing that's sitting out there. You're working a lot with the Ethereum platform. Is that right? Yeah, I've worked uh, with Ethereum since the very early days, Um,
1: actually 2013 before it was announced in Miami. I was already working with Vitalik on a project for that, but before I was involved in Bitcoin, I kind of got involved in the crypto space around 2012. And I was on the backhoe from work at the time, and I started kind of falling down the rabbit hole, if you will, and I really haven't had a reason to kind of climb my way back out there. Uh, for me, there's not really a lot of other interesting technology that I want to dive into. Of course, there are lots of interesting things out there with 3D printing and nano and so forth.
0: Right. But uh, blockchains and cryptocurrency seem to be holding my interest for quite a while now. Yeah, so wh- where do you think is going to be the first? Widespread adoption use of blockchain. I mean, Bitcoin you could say is widespread, but then again, it's perhaps not truly widespread. So, you know, can you clarify where do you think it's really going to come into the public's eye first and how? Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I really hope that cryptocurrency takes hold, uh, you know, in the general mindset of users. Uh, Bitcoin was a great example of that. Uh, nice way to explain it to people. I think there's still a huge amount of uh, interest in this idea of Internet of Value, right? Being able to have value that's native to the internet. It's not a credit card you're typing in, but it's an actual token that uh, is digital and not copyable. So I think that's a really important use case, and that will eventually come to fruition. Uh, but I think that it think like in terms of actually using some of the more complicated features of blockchain there's a lot of interest in asset and title tracking and also tracking supply chain or, or the provenance of
0: goods. This, uh, this relatively simple use case, but it seems like those are the ones moving fastest. It's kind of an unusual like, tech question, but what does the blockchain look like? Is it just hashes and hexadecimal data? Or does it have um, unencrypted data? I mean, what if you were to look at it just with your eye, what does it look like to the outside person, or just to reserve it?
1: Yeah, probably will look like not very much interesting. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that blockchain has uh, the properties it has in terms of traceability and uh, being able to track things is because of the cryptography that it uses. Right? It's like forty-year-old technology we've been using for a long time. And, um, but so really, all well, the data that gets posted to the blockchain, is secured because it is cryptographically signed.
0: So the output of that is it just looks like gobbledygook mm-hmm. to most people. Hmm. That's what I figured, that it looks like gobbledygook. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, even though it looks like gobbledygook, is the data, is all the data on a given blockchain encrypted? Or are there some things that can be read by an outside observer that um, understands the gobbledygook, for lack of a better word? Uh, so,
1: to date, the vast majority of experiments with blockchains have been all in public. Now, that's to say, all the data that's available on the blockchain is totally transparent to everyone. And part of that reason is because it is a distributed ledger and it excels at coordination. And the reason it excels at coordination is because we can all look at the same, you know, document, if you will, or in this case, a database on bottom. We can all look at it, see the exact same thing, and agree. Yeah, we have the exact same perspective. Uh, so that's kind of where it was born out. But we're starting to see more experiments um, in kind of keeping some of that data obscured or hidden so that only the two transacting parties know what contained there. This is really important, for example, if you're a business that uh, relies on a supply chain, that's you know, very important information to your business, and you do not want to reveal all the transactions. On your supply chain, so there's a legitimate business need to do that, and there are cryptocurrencies and blockchains experimenting with this. Uh, one of the most popular ones that's kind of come out lately is something called Zcash. And this uses this uh, advanced cryptographic scheme called zero-knowledge proofs. The ones that you do is see that transactions took place. But not necessarily know the details or how much value is included or the other data associated with this. So it's going to become more and more important as it expand to have this kind of partial transparency and to be able to let people in on that
0: as needed. Yeah, I wanted to ask you actually about Zcash. It's funny you bring it up. So what would you see in a um, a Bitcoin transaction versus a Zcash transaction?
1: Uh, you know, I haven't spent a ton of time looking into the low-level details of the cache, uh, but my understanding is that you can simply see a transaction took place, but the rest of the data fields, uh, you know, who it sent to and the amount, things like that, would be obscured. Uh, compare that to Bitcoin and also its Ethereum at the moment; everything is 100% transparent and public, so you might know, not necessarily who owns the account but you can see this account sent to the other account. Right. Uh, one thing that you yeah, know what I'm trying to do to kind of fix that situation and make it more flexible for applications, is to take that core technology from recache and implement it as an extra operation on the Ethereum blockchain. And there's been you know, quite a bit of work that's already gone into that. Um, so from an application developer perspective, it would be really great if they can just
0: mark a certain field as, um, obscured oh. or hidden to only the trend. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so Ethereum, uh, you and some other people have mentioned it has layers. What are the layers? I mean. like, yeah. What do what the layers look like? I mean, there's a smart contract ability, which is essentially code. You can code programs. Does the entire program reside on the Ethereum blockchain or just part of it or a hash of it? Or what does it look like? Literally? Yeah, so this is kind of the interesting
1: part. Um, Ethereum was born out of a desire to do more with blockchain. And at first, everybody wanted to use Bitcoin as its main layer for all this interactivity. But it became clear over time that as more people got on board, making substantive changes to the technology was going to be harder and harder. Right? So this is kind of the, the history from where Ethereum developed. Good. Uh, so now Ethereum's here, and if they look, we can do more blockchains, it doesn't have to just be value transfer, and in fact, value transfer is the first application of blockchains. So what we can do actually is extend the, the kind of built-in programming language that Bitcoin has as a scripting language, and we extend that so you can have more operations, and that allows people to do whatever they want, right? It's like a generic programming language, you can code it to do whatever you need. Okay. And this code that lives on the blockchain is what we call smart contracts. If you look at some of the transactions, there's literally a field called data and there's a bunch of gobbledygook there. But that is the code that gets executed. So when you send a message to that smart contract, the blockchain automatically sees that message and starts executing a particular function with whatever parameters you passed. And the self-enforcing and self-executing nature of smart contracts is, is what makes it so interesting. It doesn't live on my computer. It lives on a shared distributed ledger and we can all see the result of the operation and that's all cryptographically
0: secured. Gotcha. Okay. Hmm. What do you think is going to happen with, um, I mean, I, I want to talk about um, proof of work, consensus, uh, proof of stake. Can you give a quick outline of those? methods, first of all, and any others you're aware of, and what do you think is going to happen in the future with these different methods of, um, of consensus on the blockchains? Uh, yeah, so Proof of Work is basically the system by which Bitcoin
1: um, enables a validation of transactions. Uh, one of the key things that um, the inventor of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, realized was that we needed a way to incentivize people to validate the transactions, even though those people don't know each other. So the result is this proof of work, and it just says, hey, you have to do a bunch of calculations, and if you happen to get the right calculation, you are the kind of lottery winner, and you can manufacture the block, you can broadcast that information to the network. You'll be rewarded for doing so. It's a really elegant system. The so one kind of downside of this is that you have to plug a computer into the wall and take up a lot of electricity, which has some implications for our environment. Uh, Proof of stake says, hey, can we take the same core idea and virtualize it so that we don't actually have to be burning energy, but we can have that happen within the blockchain space automatically. And this is what Ethereum is working towards their implementation is called Casper. Um, there are also some organizations that are interested in kind of private consortium type situations, and they want something that has a little bit more control over who's involved in the validation process. So they're looking at a few different solutions, although not a lot of them come to fruition, at least in the public space. Um, One so thing I do really like about proof of stake versus proof of work, aside from the energy consumption aspect, is at least with the variants for Ethereum. Uh, there's a, a distinct difference. Proof of work is kind of a lottery system. Whoever gets the kind of special lottery number, you know, it starts with a bunch of how they calculate it. whoever gets that number special number can make the block. That's cool. Proof of stake I think, is cooler because it asks maybe hundreds or thousands of people to collaborate together on what they think the block outcome will be. And if anyone deviates from that, they can be penalized. So rather than having a lottery of one person, you have, let's say, 500 people that are all agreeing at the same time. And for me, that just seems like a more confident way to go about it. Have 500 people agree rather than one person deadline.
0: So how does proof of stake actually work? And what is a stake? What is it, um, Is there an ante in order to be able to, you know, to sit at the table and be one of the, the entities that says, yes, I think the result is this?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so, if you look at proof of work systems today, there, there are two main costs associated with this. There's the initial capital investment of buying the computer box you have to plug into the wall. And then there's the ongoing energy expenditure of running it as it's plugged into the wall. Um, and this is really where the economic security of the Bitcoin blockchain comes from.
0: If you add up all of that capital that
1: was spent on these machines and all the ongoing expenses, that's really what an attacker would have to overcome to rewrite history of that thing. Right. Uh, at this point, the Bitcoin network is more powerful than you know several supercomputers combined, so it's very unlikely that can be overcome. Um, so if you just kind of take this idea of capital and expense and how we trans- to transition this into proof-of-state, the idea is you're just virtualizing the expenditures. So rather than having to pay you know, with your local dollars or euros or whatever, not even paying with a native token on the network. So your capital is like a deposit. Say I'm going to put $10 online and this will allow me to participate in the validation process. Mm-hmm. If I have bad behavior, you can then take those $10 away from me as it's disincentive. Gotcha. Um, so it just said the idea generally is that
0: proof of stake is a virtualized version of proof of work. So what do you think is going to happen in the future um, when the halvings continue on Bitcoin and the reward goes down and down and down for um, proof of work? Hopefully the price goes up and up and up to compensate. Um, what if it doesn't? And what happens when we come to the end and... You know, all the bitcoins are mined. Is it going to be worth it for people to do proof of work? What do you think the future is for that?
1: Oh man, that's so hard to say. Um, I mean, one important aspect is uh, although the majority of the bitcoins have been mined and already exist, uh, the remainder aren't scheduled to be mined for you know more than enough, another hundred years. Like, so looking a hundred years in the future and expect Bitcoin not to change at all, uh, I think is Maybe not the best scenario. I think we have to expect some changes. If software doesn't change, it's kind of dead. Um, That said, I think we are already seeing this discussion about scaling Bitcoin and what are the effects of it, especially for people who are doing the validation process and want to be rewarded for that. Is the block subsidy, you know, the reward for doing the process? Is that going to be the main source of income, or is it going to be the excuse from people transacting on the network? And I think that's kind of the struggle we're seeing right now, the open discussion happening in the Bitcoin community. Um, Other may or may not have the similar kind of issues. The good news is it's a little bit simpler to change from state if the community wants it, because it's virtualized. No, the mining algorithm and process already exist in the software, it's not in physical boxes that might have
0: to be swapped out. Are there any other, any other um, validation methods you've seen that have promise or that are out there?
1: Uh, you know, I found a list of probably six or seven variations. I can't name them off the top of my head, but Vitalik wrote a blog post about it a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, and I think what they served to do was inform uh, the researchers of Casper uh, what methods may work and not work so well. Uh, so far, we've seen a couple of true experiments with some including proof of state. And initially, one of the big you know critiques of that was that in proof of state has nothing at stake. So you could, in theory, bet um, on multiple outcomes. Uh, now they've already kind of solved that problem, looking at it from a game theoretic standpoint. Um, so yeah, I mean that's, that's kind of where we're at with the whole thing. Um, I, I really would like to see some sort of kind of maybe high consensus protocol that private institutions need. I'd love to see that added to the open source software, you know, Ethereum that it can be used in a private
0: environment without having to have all custom code. Yeah, I've seen some companies, are, um, like Factum, they'll have data outside the blockchain and they'll anchor it periodically into the Bitcoin blockchain. Do you see a big <clears throat> ecosystem for companies to do that? That, you know, they have their own private private blockchain, and every so often they'll anchor it into the Bitcoin blockchain to memorialize it it'll be snapshots instead of continuous? Yeah, I think
1: actually this will probably be the first kind of integration we see between private blockchains and the public blockchain, right? We need to uh, basically signal that this data exists without exposing what the data is. It's a form of time stamping. Um, You know, if we look at the history of development of the internet, Intranets were a really, really big thing before the internet became the first that it is today. So we expected similar developments in the, the private public blockchain land. A lot of effort is being put into private chains now, and I expect private chains to exist in the future. But the real value of blockchains and the internet is the coordinating possibilities of using this one game network. So, internet still so exists, information can get from the internet to the internet that's fine. I think we'll be a similar situation with blockchain, at least until we have improved technology that allows for the chains to communicate with each other automatically.
0: Okay. And <clears throat> what about the law? Have you seen the laws address the validity of blockchain data or challenge it yet? Have there been any court cases involving blockchain data where, you know, the system had to be tested to make sure that the data was right or not?
1: I haven't seen any, you know, legal results or court cases about blockchain data in the sense of, you know, being a new asset class. Uh, A lot of people believe that uh, digital asset on blockchain should be a new asset class. If we actually look at how the United States' uh, various agencies are treating it, they treat it however tends to be favorable for their particular regulatory environment. So we look at the IRS,
0: and they said, oh,
1: well, It's not currency, it's more like an asset like gold or oil. But if we look at things then, they say, oh no, it's a currency and you have to apply money transmission laws to it. Um, I think the reality is this is some sort of new thing and we have to maybe crack a law specifically for blockchain unique assets. This is actually one of the kind of powerful things about blockchain that doesn't always get a lot of attention is what blockchain really enables, aside from its like distributed, Database platform. It allows for a sense of unique data that we could not have before. Computers are really good at copying data. You know, there's no and video files that are shared all over the place. We know that, but there hasn't been a really good way to enforce uniqueness without relying on uh, a, a trusted partner or trusted intermediary who would act as this sole source of truth. So what blockchain does is say. Look, you don't need a trusted person to have a source of truth. We can share this database amongst all of us, and we can all agree together that because we feel it together, it is the source of truth. So you can own your own data and it allows for kind of a, a changing of, of the way that we handle things online. But this data uniqueness I think is super important and will allow us to track digital assets, uh, the provenance of items over time. Uh, Regulators and auditors, I think, will find it to be a huge help in helping them conduct their
0: job and maybe lower some of the costs but in that through the government agencies. Do you know of anyone that's focusing on the legal aspects and implications of blockchain? Any company, any lawyer, any individual? I know there are a couple of organizations that are legally focused in terms of trying to provide
1: guidance to regulatory agencies. Uh, I'm not aware of any companies directly than that were doing that, but it should be kind of interesting. Uh, there was some talks given at Devcon uh, two in Shanghai, China this year, and one of those was um, from the legal side, and trying to explain what are the regulatory agencies seeing, what are they expecting, how can we work in conjunction with them. Uh, and I myself have gone to a conference that was focused at the law enforcement agencies, and they had a similar question. You know, how mm-hmm. can we work with the blockchain community or how you guys want to work with that? Unfortunately, right now, it's not ultimately clear, but
0: yeah. I think we're getting closer and closer to asking those questions and having those hard discussions. Yeah, because I could see blockchain could help with uh, chain of custody. Um, you know, let's say police wore cameras that uh, were connected to the internet and that data was memorialized on the blockchain. So if an arrest is made that... Uh, You'd have a real indisputable record of what happened, um, you know, things like that. So I just wanted to know if, if you know anyone that's exploring those things.
1: Um, well, one thing that, that kind of related, I think, is, uh, and it's geared to my heart because I live in Chicago, is Cook County in Illinois is experimenting with blockchain and, and paid registry, right? So this is something that's very important, not just to First World nations, but also especially areas which have unstable governance, right? So trying to the ownership of land, uh, is a very important thing. And if a new government comes in and says we no longer recognize your, your record, uh, now we say the owner is my friend over here, <coughs> no problem. Um, so if we can get at that point of saying, look, uh, something like a land or has to be public for, for many entities, that's use industry, the industry technology to ensure everybody sees the same view of the world. And if something like that can hold up in court, uh, a large government entity wants to put all the records onto something like blockchain. I think we'll have you know some of our first answers in terms of enforceability. Because it's on blockchain and not in paper, I don't think that makes it less valuable. I think it much, much more valuable.
0: What about the other side of it? Um, You know, someone that has a uh, criminal record. Let's say it's for something minor. You know, if it's memorialized in the blockchain, it will never go away. Is there a way to accommodate people's privacy, but yet use blockchain to uh, prevent them from being taken advantage of at the same time?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question, and I have a passion for kind of disturbing the features and understanding where (laughs) things went wrong. Uh, I really like the series Black Mirror on Netflix,
0: and they go into a lot of these kind of details. Yeah, I've seen um, that. Uh, very, that's a very disturbing uh, series, but I've seen a little bit of it, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you look at something that's very common today are social media platforms. We're constantly liking or rating each other's stuff. But so what happens when that kind of reputation becomes integrated into our society, right? And if someone has a bad day, does the reputation take die? And if it does, does that have other implications? Just like a credit score, if you have a really low you know, social reputation, companies may not want to do business with you. Right. And this is actually the, the premise of the first episode from season three. And I think it was very appropriate. It doesn't necessarily touch on the monetary aspect, value aspect of blockchain. But I think on this reputation identity thing is another very important part of it. Because as we have this digital identity that exists for longer and longer, we're going to have to start figuring out the situation. How do I have a portable digital identity that isn't tied to where I was born? Especially
0: as people are now more mobile today. Yeah, or like on a credit report. You know, let's say you file bankruptcy, it goes off after 10 years, even though it's a long time. Mm -hmm. But you can get rid of it, and you know, or criminal records can be expunged or um, sealed. So, you know, in a world of blockchain, I wonder if this uh, ability will still be there. It has to be, you know, closely watched to make sure it's. Yeah, still I think if we're going to reach, if we're going to reach mass adoption, we're going
1: to have to pay attention to these kind of exceptional cases, right? It's like, you not know, as straightforward as well data is. is created and it should exist forever. Mm. Now that said, one of the things I kind of like about watching is we can start to take the algorithm back into our hands. So, looking at credit rating agencies, we have Algorithm that they won't disclose proprietary to them. Right, We're yep. so looking at something like Facebook or Twitter that has promoted feeds or, or showing you information about your friends, I have no problem with this. My main issue is that I don't have any way to customize what it is that I want to see. So what I would prefer is, is out there and I apply my own elected algorithm. Maybe I don't want as much of an echo chain, but I want a more diverse opinion on right. Facebook. Mm-hmm. With something like blockchain, where you own your own data and it's in the public record, you can say, you know what? I understand people have problems in the past. If their bankruptcy was more than ten years ago, I will not take that into account. Um, now, it doesn't deal with the fact that data is still there, but at least you have the ability to make your own decisions about
0: who you trust and to what degree you trust them. Right. So let's get more back into the you know what you're really good at. So can you talk about any projects you've recently been pulled in on to consult with? You know, I know you can't disclose everything, but other disclosable portions or pieces, you know, what can you talk about that's cool and interesting that you've been working on lately?
1: Well, I've been focusing a lot more on kind of the core protocol development and uh, adoption of that, uh, I tried to uh, get this information into the hands of you know, developers that exist today and then want to kind of upgrade their resume to blockchain developers. So kind of like a more of a platform evangelist. Uh, that said, I do a lot of training to help organizations understand if blockchain is something I need mean in this area or not. Um, and people are starting to figure that out and develop that in private. As I mentioned before, medical industry, uh, especially with tracking payments is something that people are really interested in, in making that process easier. Uh, energy companies looking to uh, swap energy or go from local <clears throat> to another part of it, the you know, island in New Zealand, for example, um, There's I know of a specific case in York where people are generating energy and trading back for vegetables uh, that are growing in a garden. So there's a lot of possibilities. Unfortunately, everybody's playing their cards very close to their best because, you know, this is an opportunity for businesses to create more value for their customers or to be more efficient internally. And understandably, they're not so willing to um, kind of share exactly how they're going about that. But I expect to see more uh, public announcements in the coming year. Right. Okay.
0: And for people that want to get a a deeper understanding of blockchain and the potential applications, but maybe people that aren't developers that are more lay people. Any uh, recommendations on resources, you know, interviews like this, uh, things to listen to, watch, read?
1: Yeah, the information is uh, probably a little spread out right now on the internet, but I find one of the best,
0: most effective
1: resources is just go to YouTube and type in blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum. Just so the videos are there. Usually, there's a wide variety of very short five-minute explanations or hour-long explanation, and varying from a very low level technical detail all the way up to advanced. So, fortunately, we're in a good spot where there's a lot of information coming out. There's no singular place to go, um, but YouTube's a great resource, and there's a few different forms out there depending on you know where in the
0: spectrum of technical and business that you personally sit. What about, uh, you know, I've seen this, uh, I think it's blockchaineducation.edu or blockchainedu. Um, some of these organizations that are trying to teach people about blockchain, would those be helpful?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know that specifically the education and training space is heating up. Uh, every time I go to speak somewhere about this technology, one of the first questions is, where can, can I learn more about this? Mm. And... You know, there's not that single concise resource, um, which is hard for people to jump in and really understand things. But I do view it as a huge benefit of the ecosystem uh, because the Ethereum Foundation focuses on the technology protocol itself and allows the rest of the ecosystem to develop. There's quite a few organizations, and this allows us to have you know organizations that focus on Europe and India, South America, North America, etc. So, yeah, there's some courses out there that you can do for free or you can bring somebody in to have you kind of assess your business's specific situation more, you know, accurately
0: pinpoint those needs. Okay. Um, any uh, other real exciting use cases or unusual ones that you're privy to that you see that's coming or, you know, what, what do you see as the um, upcoming big changes in blockchain technology in the next year or two?
1: The thing that I'm excited most about our social change. Uh, I, I love the aspect of um, you know, improving the way we communicate, uh, doing business more efficiently. But I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today, and probably starting from the global financial crisis from years ago, which is where Bitcoin was born from. Uh, as we move to an increasingly digital space, we have to start evaluating this identity and reputation problem. What does your identity mean? Who owns it? Um, I think it's going to be a really long path to get there. But this is, I think, where the most impact comes, where the real world change comes in. Uh, It'll go hand in hand with improvements on the way that we use applications on the internet or the way we share information in our business. But really improving people's lives and making Things more common to transact with each other increasingly over the internet. I think that's
0: where the real value comes in. It's just going to take a long time to get there. Yeah, if you were able to magically make some part of this happen, what would you do? And uh, you know, what would it look like? What would you love to have happen first? And what would it do?
1: Um. It's hard to say, uh, the big problem, even if we solve the philosophical questions of what is identity, reputation, and how do we codify that on a blockchain, we mm-hmm. still have the real problem of scalability on a blockchain. So it produces a lot of data, and that's growing each year. Uh, we also have the problem of how do we scale to you know, internet level adoption? Can we support seven billion people on this planet have enough space for all the transactions of those 7 billion people? That answer is not 100% clear yet, uh, but a lot of great research is
0: going into solving those problems. Yeah, why is scalability such a problem? I mean, you know, let's say 7 billion people, a large part of them are memorialized somewhere in their transactions, you know, Visa, MasterCard, um, titles and deeds that are held in government offices, these kinds of things. Has anyone figured out literally how much data this would mean if you did memorialize all this stuff? And how, what's the gap? Is it a huge gap to be able to you know, to satisfy this demand? Or is it, is it doable? You know, What's the perception of it?
1: Uh, if we just try to stick raw data onto the blockchain, that is a dead end solution. We should not go that route. Uh, it's just not going to scale for the amount of data I just saw a report uh, estimating the amount of data that a single autonomous vehicle will generate. Right? We're talking gigabytes of data per vehicle, and that's just not going to be scalable. So you have to figure out ways to store the data somewhere, hopefully in a decentralized way, and then take a hash of that data, a cryptographic hash, and stick that in the blockchain so that we have a pointer, effectively. And there's several projects that are working on this idea. One is called that. Uh, Ethereum has kind of a sub-project called Swarm, and the idea is that you can store the data in a separate section, and then just put a pointer into the blockchain. Now, the major scaling problem that comes into effect is effectively, right now, every person sharing that blockchain has to execute the full set of transactions that comes in. Right. There's no way to kind of split it up, so that half execute this, and half execute that, and then we put it together. Uh, and that is, hopefully going to be fixed with um, the scanning technologies that are being researched in a now a combination of task and also what they're calling sharding. with sharding is that you split the network up into a bunch of different sizes, and you have different parts of the network processing different parts. You subscribe to the parts that you care about. Maybe it's 1, 2, and 10. Um, and then eventually the network has a way to kind of roll this information all up together. The hard part is how you coordinate across the shards uh, and do it in an asynchronous way, because you can't pause one part of the data to wait for the other part of the data. Uh, Fortunately, it sounds like they're making a lot of good progress on that, and I hope to see uh, some more results later in 2017. Right now, we already have uh, two or three proof-of-concepts,
0: but they're not fully robust solutions quite yet. So is one problem um as the blockchain gets bigger, you know, on Ethereum or Bitcoin or wherever it is, um, for a computer to have access to that entire blockchain to verify a transaction.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of the problems is um, the sheer amount of data. Uh, one of the solutions for that, especially looking at end users and consumers of the data, not necessarily the, the servers that host it. But if you're just an user and want to use an app that's blockchain-related, uh, there's a, a notion of light client. Right? So it doesn't download the whole blockchain. It only requests stuff from the network on demand as it needs it. Right, okay. uh, the result of this is instead of having, let's say, 30 gigabytes of data, I'm talking about 30 megabytes. You know, and that's smaller than many of the applications you might download from the app store. So this becomes um, possible for mobile and embedded devices. The other part is... Yeah, just how do we deal with the sheer volume of, of data? Uh, because people may, may want to know what's happening now, but also may want to know what has happened in the past. And if we have to keep track of every set of transitions from the very first block all the way to the most recent, it's going to require a very large data set. Uh, one thing that we can do to mitigate this is actually work with related protocols like IPSS. You take a blockchain itself and stick it on another decentralized storage. So how that would work is you go to your favorite website, you see this is the latest ID number of the, the most recent snapshot, and maybe your client sees that it goes out and says, is everything new from the snapshot point? Mm-hmm. And that would help alleviate some of that because since the data is always on that permanent store on IPFS or Swarm. You right. I mean, go back and find a previous snapshot if you needed it.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Um, any other questions that I should have asked you that you want to bring up? I know we went real in detail on things and covered a wide range. Is there anything I missed that you think is real important to bring up?
1: Um, but. Not really, the only thing with this last question from the fascinating things. Um, I, I can just mention a couple of words on
0: that if you want. Yeah, definitely. That's always the stuff everyone salivates for, so yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, of the new and exciting and upcoming things you're seeing with blockchain, what's an example of one or two that you can talk about that you think really is going to be like game-changing in the next uh, six months, year or two years? Uh, It's really hard to predict, but
1: one of the most fascinating things that I've experienced over the past years is the sheer variety of interest that people have coming from all different backgrounds. So typically when we see new technology come out, we have the tech nerds that are really interested in the technology state, and certainly that played a role here in blockchain and cryptocurrency. But if you go to a meetup that's focused on blockchain, and talk with people in person, they come from a whole variety of industries, right? Some of the ones we've already mentioned, but also insurance, you have people that are there for social change, you have people there who want to make government more transparent, you have people there that want to make uh, nonprofit organizations more efficient. So the fact that you go there and have such a wide variety of discussions with people from all kinds of backgrounds, I think is one of the most valuable things about blockchain
0: these communities of people that want to do better things for their families, their friends, and their communities. Yeah, it's funny, actually, I go to a, a Bitcoin meetup. It's not a blockchain meetup, but a Bitcoin one, but it talks about blockchain in Austin, Texas. Uh, Factum sponsors it. So it's exactly what you said. You get all kinds of different people that go and uh, all kinds of unusual conversations. So it is a great thing.
1: Yeah, and I really like how uh, many of the conversations, especially if you decide to go to the bar afterwards and have a beer or two, is how everything kind of touches a little bit on the the philosophical side. It forces you to question and challenge some of the notions that you've grown up with. For me, that's a really exciting stuff, is discussing this and and trying to understand that that my view of the world is not the exact view everyone else has. But in fact, there are lots of views, and we can use this to actually make a very valuable system that works for everybody.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, um, so for people that are listening to this interview and they uh, they like what you have to say, they want to get in touch with you, perhaps for consulting or some other use, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: They can visit my website. It's blockchainconsulting.expert. I have a few videos of presentations that I've done over the past year up there. So you'd like to get some more information on Instagram or blockchains. Uh, that's a great place to go. Or send
0: me an email at Taylor Watching watchingconsulting.expert. Okay. Well, very good. I, I really appreciate taking the time and uh, answering my like, crazy questions, but thank you very much. Thanks, Richard, so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review and discover more future technologies